in. Well, one of the uh, one of the things I find myself saying to people when I try and describe us as a church is that we are resource rich but time poor. Now, Jonathan, our treasurer, might dispute the fact that we are resource rich, but I don't think any of us would dispute or debate the fact that we are time poor. I mean, life is just busy, isn't it? I mean, your work is busy. If you're a student, your studies, you, you know, that, that fills up your time. Our family life is busy. Life is just busy. And one of our most precious commodities is time, which makes, I think, which makes the passage that we are looking at um, in Mark today all the more relevant. Because while other religions venerate places, I mean, think about it, Islam has Mecca. Hinduism has the Ganges. Sure, Judaism had Jerusalem, but Judaism had something else as well. It venerated time. It had the Sabbath. And I think the Bible understands time, including your time, in a way that other religions just don't, in a way that the inshallah of Islam or the cycle of life of Buddhism can never understand time. That time is precious, and what you do with your time matters. Okay, we're in a part of Mark's gospel where Mark is highlighting some of the controversies around Jesus. And as we've seen in the weeks gone, the religious leaders are upset because Jesus has forgiven sinners. He's claimed the power to forgive sins. More than that, he mixes with them. He spends time with sinners and crosses one of their clear social boundaries. Well, in this passage, Jesus crosses another boundary, how they see the Sabbath. And in doing so, he does a few things, doesn't he? He, he doesn't just help answer the central question of the book. Okay, he, he does. You know, this question, who is this man, Jesus of Nazareth? He does something else as well. Okay, he helps us understand why you and I use our time the way we do. He helps us understand why we can be so restless and so driven. And he tells us how instead we can find rest. Okay, first point then, the day of rest. Okay, look at, look at verse 23. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, the nations that we are from, okay, they have certain characteristics, don't they? Okay, if you are Dutch, like David, you're tall and direct. Okay, if you're British, you're short and you like tea. Okay, but to be Jewish was different because you can be Dutch and short, can't you hear it? Okay, you can be, you can be British and hate tea, but you couldn't be Jewish and not keep the Sabbath. To be Jewish was to keep the Sabbath. Alongside circumcision, it was one of the two markers of what it meant to be Jewish. And you kept the Sabbath because God had kept it at creation. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. 
And when God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he gave them the Ten Commandments, okay, the, the ten rules that were to shape their life as his people in his land. And the fourth was the Sabbath, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, if, if, you, um, if you grew up in a sort of conservative or traditional religious uh, background, you might think of the Sabbath as oppressive, mightn't you? Because what, what you remember about the Sabbath is all those things, all the fun you were not allowed to have. Okay, what I want you to see is notice who God says has to put their work down on the Sabbath. Who is it? It's everyone, isn't it? You, your servants, any foreigners amongst you, even your animals, everyone must be allowed to rest. And when the people of Israel were stood on the doorstep of entering the promised land, Moses tells them why. He tells them why the Sabbath was to be the identity marker of God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, so why should Israel keep the Sabbath? Because of who they, because of who they are. Or, you know, maybe more accurately, because of who they aren't anymore. They're not slaves anymore. In Egypt, they had been made to work with zero rest, every day making their bricks. No days off, no holidays by the Red Sea for them. But that was then, and now is now, God is saying, I have set you free. So keep the Sabbath, rest, put your work down. Think about it. It's only a slave who can't rest, isn't it? Only slaves have to keep working. Only a slave with a slave master standing over him can't put his work down. And so their ability every seventh day to be able to stop and rest was a sign of who they are now and of who their new master is. And it's not Egypt, but neither was it going to be wealth and the endless pursuit of more? Their new master is God, which meant that they and all of those who worked for them can stop. They can rest. 
they can put their work down because they don't have a slave master over them anymore. Okay, but interestingly, the Sabbath commandment is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is rooted in creation. Okay, look at Exodus 20 again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days, four, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and rested on the Sabbath. Okay, so to keep the Sabbath, it wasn't just to live as a member of God's free people, knowing that you weren't enslaved anymore. It was to live as all of us have been created to live, in time with God's rhythm for the cosmos. Okay, just imagine an orchestra playing a, you know, you're in a great concert hall somewhere, and the orchestra is playing one of those great pieces of music, and there are some sections where everything goes quiet, and all the instruments just begin to drop out. Now imagine if standing at the back, there's a percussionist with his giant kettle drums, and he is stood there, and he's thinking, no, I can't stop. No, 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 I've got to keep hitting. No, I know it says rest, that there are rest in the, in the script here, but no, I'm going to keep on hitting my drums. What would you think of that? You'd think, uh, hang on a minute, um, that is not how the composer wrote it. What the Sabbath tells us is that the person who can't put his or her work down is the same. It's not just that they're a slave to something, it's that they are also out of sync with their creator. And the Sabbath is to help keep us in sync and to get people back into sync with their creator. It's why when Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees, he says, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. As J.C. Ra, the Bishop of Liverpool wrote, the Sabbath was given to us as a benefit and a blessing, not as a burden. You see, think what the Sabbath and being able to put your work down says. It says, you're free, you're not a slave, and it tells you that your master, your true master is kind, and you don't have to prove anything to him. You can rest. That raises a question, doesn't it? Why can we find, find it so hard to stop? You know, why do some of us, you know, including myself, what, what, why do we find it hard to rest? Why do we find it difficult to put our work down? You know, why do we feel this need to prove ourselves by our work, but not just by our work? Why do we struggle with an inner restlessness? Second point then, always working. Now, if Jesus is on one side of this controversy in the grain fields, okay, the Pharisees are on the other, aren't they? And they see the disciples picking these ears of grain and they go, verse 24, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay, now, of course, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that you shall not go for a walk with your mates on the Sabbath and pick ears of grain. It says you shall not do any work, which 
you know, when you're in a farming community, as they were, included plowing and reaping. Because not even farmers are going to be slaves in God's people. And yet, the Pharisees were so keen to make sure that no one broke God's law that they fenced it. Okay, they created a whole load of rules further out to stop you having any chance of breaking the rule in the center, breaking the real commandment. So maybe, maybe you liked making clothes. Well, to stop you making a whole shirt on the Sabbath, you couldn't sew more than one stitch on the Sabbath. Okay, maybe you, uh, you, know, you fancy yourself as an author. Well, to stop you writing a book, you couldn't write more than one letter. And if harvesting was work, well, picking ears of grain is a type of harvesting, so picking ears of grain must be work. So Jesus, why are you letting them do it? You see, if you were a Pharisee, how people behaved on the Sabbath was a litmus test, wasn't it? It was a litmus test of whether you were with us or against us, whether you were one of us or one of them, whether you were in or out, whether you were acceptable or not. And when you think like that, you're always going to be on the lookout, aren't you? Okay, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Okay, they want to find proof that Jesus really is who they suspect him to be, or what they suspect him to be, that he really is a Sabbath breaker. And so get this, in a synagogue, you know, where God's people gather, on the Sabbath, when they are supposed to gather to worship God and hear again from his word that they are free and they're not slaves anymore, something else is eating away at them, isn't it? These guys, they're not working, but they are restless. They're on the alert. Now, those of you who are doctors will remember this well. When you're a doctor, you take it in if you're working in a hospital you you take it in turns or at least you did in the old days to carry the cardiac arrest bleep okay and you can be sat in the hospital canteen having your lunch or you can be sat in the staff room you know reading a reading a book and to any outside observer you're not working but inside you're on edge you you can't quite relax because you know that at any moment, that bleep could go off. Cardiac arrest, Ward 19, and you are off and running. That's these Pharisees, isn't it? They can't quite rest. They're, they're always on the alert. Okay, you see, it's not just workaholics or those who think they've got to prove themselves at work who struggle to rest. If you crave the acceptance or the affirmation of others and you want to be in and you want to be approved of, you're also going to struggle to rest. You're always going to be on edge. You're always going to be evaluating. How am I doing? What, 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 what do those people think of me? That, that comment that she made, what, 
What did she really mean by that? Or, if you think that your standing before God is based on what you do or you don't do, you're also going to struggle to rest, aren't you? And your moral performance, how good you are, how well you are doing, how well you keep the rules, that becomes your slave master standing over you. And if you're like that, you won't be able to let other people rest. You're always on the lookout for lawbreakers, for those who don't match up to how you think they should behave. And you become both the judge and the prosecuting attorney of others. And what these Pharisees show us is that the problem is that over time that does something to your heart, doesn't it? Verses 3 and 5. And he, Jesus, said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Athanasius, uh, one of the great church fathers, wrote, if the man was withered in his hand, the ones who stood by were withered in their minds. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's not just the man's hand that's withered, it's their hearts. And on the day and in the place where you would hope to find compassion and the desire to set a man free from his disability and restore the order of the cosmos, everything that the Sabbath spoke about, you find hardness. They have lost, they have lost sight of what really matters. They are hyper alert. They're watching but they can't see a disabled man right in front of them. Because when you think that you've got to prove yourself to God or to others by what you do or don't do, by how moral you are or how hard you work, or by what you own or how attractive you are or the political views that you hold, eventually your heart is going to wither you're going to begin to lose sight of what really matters. And you won't see a man with a withered hand. You'll just see an argument to be won. You won't have compassion on those less well-off than you. You'll just see people who should work harder. You won't see people as friends. Instead, you'll begin to see them as competitors. And there's a terrible irony here, isn't there? If, as you watch these Pharisees, there's a terrible irony of the ever-watchful self-righteousness of the Pharisees is that self-righteousness actually makes you less righteous. Self-righteousness is always self-destructive. Okay, look again at Jesus' question in verse 4. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Okay, think about it. Who's really breaking the Sabbath in that synagogue? Okay, they are so intent on not letting anyone else break the Sabbath that they end up breaking it themselves by plotting murder. They are so intent on making themselves righteous that they end up less righteous than before. Trying to make yourself right with God 
and justify yourself and vindicate yourself before God and put him in your debt and prove yourself to him by what you do or you don't do always leaves you further away from him at the end than you were at the beginning because it inevitably makes you proud and critical of others and as we see here, hard-hearted. And Jesus sees that. He sees their hardness of heart and Mark says he was angry and grieved. Why is he angry? He's angry because of what they have done to God's law. He's angry at how sin has turned God's good world into one where withered hands are a reality. And he is angry at hard hearts that don't get angry about that. But he's not just angry, is he? He's grieved. Why is he grieved? Because Jesus knows that things could be so different. Last point then, the Lord of rest. Go back to Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees in the field, okay, and they're challenged to him. Why are your disciples doing what they are not allowed to do on the Sabbath? How would you respond to that? Okay, what, what, what would frame your decision-making? Okay, when, when you are faced with some controversial issue, or you need to decide, how should I respond here, what's going to help you resolve that? Okay, what's the guiding authority in your life? Because it could be your feelings, couldn't it? Hey, come on, listen, they're hungry. And if it's not hurting anyone, and that they feel like that, it's fine, leave them be. And you respond on the level of feelings. It could be your favorite political commentator or the latest thing that's gone viral. Well, so-and-so says it doesn't matter what you do on the Sabbath, and if they say that, then it must be right. Or you could be your own authority. Hey, this is my life. You don't get to tell me what I do on the Sabbath. You don't get to tell them what they do. This is for us to decide what we do and don't do. It could be your feelings. It could be some external authority. It could be you as the authority. Look where Jesus goes. He goes to the Bible because he knows that the Bible has an authority that is more stable than our feelings which are always going up and down. And it has a wisdom that is tried and tested beyond any current cultural zeitgeist. Verses 25 to 26. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? and also gave it to those who were with him. And every Sabbath, the priests would put out 12 loaves of bread in the tabernacle and then the temple. And at the end of the week, those loaves would be exchanged, they'd be removed and fresh bread would be put in their place. And the priests got to eat the bread that had been removed. So when David and his men are fleeing Saul and in hunger, in their hunger, they take and eat that bread, they were doing something that only priests could do. And they're not priests. But their basic human need, hunger, overrode that law. 
And yet what's interesting is that here, there is no indication that Jesus' disciples are hungry. They're just casually picking ears of grain as they go for a walk. So what point is Jesus making by taking them back to David? Okay, it's that one like David is here. He's saying that just as David being present changed the way that the priests applied the law, so the fact that he, Jesus, is present should fundamentally change the way these Pharisees see the law. Now, for a carpenter turned traveling rabbi to claim to be an equal of Israel's greatest king, David, that takes some chutzpah, doesn't it? Okay, that's one thing. The next thing he says makes that look like nothing. Verse 28, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Think about that. Who instituted the Sabbath by taking the first Sabbath? God did. And the Sabbath was one of the markers of what it meant to be a member of God's people. And Jesus stood there in that grain field saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who instituted it. I'm the one who defines what it means to be a member of God's people. Because I am the one who sets you free from slavery and brings you into rest. And in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, Jesus asks this man, a man who never asked to be healed, asks this man with the withered hand to stand up. And again, Jesus asks them, verse four, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? To save life or to kill? This man's life's not in danger, is it? He's not gonna die any moment. He's not gonna die of a withered hand overnight. There's no life to be saved here. So why does Jesus say to save life or to kill? Because that is what these religious leaders are plotting, to kill Jesus. And Jesus tells the man, verse five, stretch out your hand. And the very thing he couldn't do, as he responds to Jesus' command, he finds he can do it. As Mark says, verse five, he stretched it out and his hand was restored because Jesus has come to restore what is withered. Jesus has come to make whole what's broken. And guys, sometimes to be a part of that, we simply have to obey him. Now, I, I don't know what that would mean for you. Maybe you are struggling over something, some, something of obedience. Maybe it's some relationship. Maybe it's something that you know you should stop doing or something you should start doing. And you, you are sat there thinking, oh, but I can't do it. It's impossible. Like this man, you simply need to obey and you will find the impossible becomes possible. But verse six, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And in Jesus' trial and crucifixion, it seems like they've achieved their goal, doesn't it? Job done, now we can rest. But the writer of Hebrews tells us is that it is through Jesus' work on the cross that it's our job that's been done. 
That it's, that it's in his destruction that we find healing. That it's, that it's in his death that we can find life. It's through his work that you and I can finally find rest. Hebrews 4 verse 9. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because it's in him that you can find rest from all of your works. You can put down your striving to earn God's approval because Jesus has already won God's approval for you. You can put down, you can find rest from that anxiety that eats away of you, never knowing that you're good enough. Because at the cross, Jesus absorbed all of God's anger at our not being good enough. All of his anger for our sin and our hardness of heart and our missing what is most important. So we can put down that anxiety and restlessness. And we can put down our restless trying to prove ourselves to ourselves or to others. Because we know that in Jesus, we are already loved and approved of. And we can put down our ever watchful judgmentalism of others. Because we know that he has shown us grace. So we can show grace to others. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because it's in him that we can find rest and freedom. Freedom from the slavery of needing to prove ourselves. Freedom from the slavery of always having to have more and earn more and possess more. Freedom from the self-destructiveness of self-righteousness. And as you know and experience that inner rest, you'll find yourself also able to rest physically, to stop and take a Sabbath, a Sabbath that's a blessing, not a burden, a Sabbath of restoration, not rules. I was reading Psalm 46 this week. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still, rest. Put your work down and know, experience the fact that Christ's work for you is complete. There's nothing more for you to do. You're free, you're healed, you are whole and restored in him and your future is safe in his hands. So rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that he is our Lord and he is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, may all of us, as we put our trust in him, find that deep inner rest that only he can give. Amen.